Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. my fellow truth seekers, and welcome to another edition of Beneath the Surface, where faith and reason meets every Monday evening on WCAP Radio from 10 to 11 p.m., bringing a little sanity into our age of insanity, a little life into our culture of death. Glad you could join us tonight on this wonderful February evening. want to introduce to you my guest for tonight, who uh, is not a regular guest, as a matter of fact, he is here for the first time, Mr. Tom Murphy. Tom, welcome to Beneath the Surface. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me, man. What's it like being Tom? Why don't you give us a little... Oh, that's... uh, I do whatever the leprechauns in my head tell me to do. Um, (laughs) What's it like being Tom? Um, If if I were Tom, what would would my life be like? uh, I'm a... Busy guy, father of four. Hmm. Um, my wife Jen. We uh, we live in Pepperell. My oldest is thirteen, and I have a twelve-year-old, and I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So we are we have our wow. hands full. We're busy, That's awesome. um, but we love it. It's uh, you know we live in a tiny, tiny house in Pepperell, and and we do love each other. So it's 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 good, you know. Excellent. So that they span from thirteen to two. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. Eleven year difference. That's cool. Yep. So actually, the the biggest difference, seven year difference between Molly, who's twelve, and my daughter Ailish, who's five. So uh, we were wondering what was going on there. You know, being Catholics and practicing NFP and all, we were like, gee, what's going to happen? You know, are we going to have any more? And <laughs> you know, God did bless us with uh, two more great kids, and uh, they're asleep as we speak. All right. Um, so this show is called Beneath the Surface, as you know. Uh, it's actually not a Catholic radio show, even though most of my guests are Catholic and they talk about their philosophy and theology on the issues of the day. Um, and uh, today's issue, our, our topic for today, is going to be uh, Lent in the Age of Hedonism. Lent in the Age of Hedonism, which means we have two fun things to talk about here, Lent and Hedonism. And as they relate to each other in our, um, I guess, our era of, um, of um, uh, what's the word, uh, very fast, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Instant gratification. Insta- that's, that's the term I was looking for, instant gratification. 978-454-4980 is our phone number. That's 978-454-4980. If you want to jump into the conversation tonight, 
Lent in the Age of Hedonism, Mr. Tom. So, I guess uh, this presumes that we have a hedonistic culture. Is that right? Absolutely. I was <clears throat> thinking about some of the other topics or the other, uh, what, what we could have called this, um, as well as like, you know, Lent in the Age of the Culture War. It appears that, you know, uh, God help us, we just had a, another school shooting not long ago. And that, that does not fit in with hedonism, but we're in such an instant gratification culture. It, where our culture appears to just be breaking down constantly. Yeah, um, it's, it's related to hedonism, though, in, in as much as you, t- you seek to satisfy uh, a desire in you, and with those folks, it's a desire for to, to lash out in anger. Right, yeah. right. It, it appears to be happening everywhere. Um, yeah, the, with the headphones aren't working well. Is there a buzz? There is. Yeah. Um, so maybe during break we can check it out. Otherwise, I can I can hang this. All right. Why don't you hang for now? Yeah. But yeah, no. It's definitely um, even looking at. I was born in '73, so okay. sort of a '70s slash '80s kid, and I look at the differences that that's gone on in our public schools and just even in the public arena from when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, chewing gum in school was the big deal. Now yes. it's now it's dodging bullets, and I don't mean uh, I don't mean to. That's not like that's the norm that's going on, but the norm is definitely different now than it was growing up, and uh, it just, it breaks my heart. You know, it it really does. Um, you know, how do we? My heart breaks for our youth. Um, my heart breaks for the parents. My heart breaks for the teachers. You know, it's it's easy to point the finger at one person and, oh it's the parents fault it's the teacher's fault the kids fault I, again I think it's the cultural breakdown that we're dealing with um, what do you think happens what do you think happened or yeah. happens well what do you think has happened to create this breakdown it's really interesting uh, my step my first stepfather <laughs> um, I'll never forget we were out having breakfast years ago and and he's not a churchgoer he might be an agnostic um but he said, you know what the problem is? And I'm like, what's that? And he says, people don't go to church anymore. I'm like, well, excuse me? What? You don't go to church anymore. He's like, I know, but that's part of the problem. Mm. And just looking at, never mind the theological reasons for going to church. Okay. Back in the days of the blue laws, Sunday was a day to meet with the family. Sunday was a day yeah. to go to mass or or uh, temple if you're a Jewish, whatever, what have you. You would go and you would be still and you would be there for an, another reason other than yourself. Your family is there in accord. To yeah, Sundays God. were the uh, the triple F's, right? The uh, faith, family, and food. Right. Yeah. I never heard it that way, but I like that. <laughs> so. The Blue Laws, uh, I think they were uh, around until around the mid-80s, early to mid-80s. And then making money uh, was deemed uh, more important than getting together with family and worshiping God uh, and having a day of rest. Um, So, yeah, I think think that certainly is something to point to uh, as a symbol as to what has happened in the breakdown of our society in the past 40 years or so. Mm. So if you don't have that family time and you don't have that glue that keeps the family together, which is faith in God, what do you have? What, what's left? Uh, the self. Uh, Peter, yeah. uh, Dr. Peter Kraft, um, he's, uh I don't know if you ever read his book, uh, 
fundamentals of the faith, and he does a comparative study of religions, uh, that, and it was very positive. You know, the Catholic faith um, compared to Judaism, compared to Islam, compared to um, there was a few others, Hinduism. But the most interesting one I found that he talked about was neo-paganism. Not paganism, neo-paganism. Yes. Which is popular today. Which is very yeah. popular today. Where even, you know, Buddhism has seemed to become a very popular thing in America today. But it's not Buddhism in the East. It's an American form of, well, let's be spiritual to yes. serve the self. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Right. Yeah, right. I, you hear that a lot. And for a lot of people, I think it really means I kind of do my own thing spiritually and I don't want to really um, uh, answer to any higher authority. Right, That's right. Basically, basically what it means. Right. Oh, or actually, oh, but they do answer yeah. to an authority. It's the authority of self. Yeah, any high, no, no higher than the self, though. No higher yeah. than the self, yeah. which is quite presumptuous. I can say that because I did it, you know, I uh, not as a... Not as a pagan, but, you know, I was a non-Catholic Christian for 18 years of my life. I left the church at a very young age, and I was my own pope. And I recognized, gee, that really didn't go over as well as uh, I was hoping. And uh, so it was fairly easy for me. I won't say easy. Part of it was easy to become Catholic because I recognized that I was not fit to be my own authority. Um, That's interesting. Let's, can I? Can we delve into that for a second? Oh, sure. Yeah. So you were a non-Catholic Christian. Yep. Would you consider yourself Protestant um, under that umbrella term? I guess so. Sure. Okay. All right. For for how yes. many? For for many years? Eighteen. About eighteen okay. years. Uh, were you okay? So so you were living a life as a believer in God, and yet you were in a sense making your own rules regarding morality. Mostly, is that what we're thinking? Partial. Well. Partial morality, but even mm. even uh, th you know the blessings I guess of being a Protestant is I we I, we studied the scriptures, we studied yeah. the Bible, we really we strove to love Jesus, uh, we were open to the Holy Spirit as far as we knew, and so with morality, um, there was major in the majors, minor in the minors. If you ever heard that term, <coughs> uh, certain basic Christian tenets, Judeo-Christian, <coughs> excuse me, Judeo-Christian values. Um, I did hold fast to those. At least I tried to. Um, but then there were s s certain other issues of the death penalty, um, uh, birth control, um, uh, different different issues, keeping the Sabbath day holy. You know, it didn't really matter whether you went to church or not. Sure, you yeah. tried to go, but if you missed it, you missed it. You know, and and then if you didn't like the church that you happened to go to, no big deal. You just jump ship and go join another one. So. So it seems like there was no sense of, of obligation the in, only, in some of these things? Well, on the positive note, yeah. the I wouldn't look at it as a sense of obligation. I looked at it, on the positive note, I looked at it as a sense of I wanted to be there and I wanted to know who Christ was. So it was like being on a date with your wife. I, You know, I didn't. When I first met my wife, I was like, oh, man, i got to take her out again. No, it was, I couldn't wait to spend time with her. I was in love with her, and I wanted to get to know her. So I felt like, as a Protestant, I wanted to get to know my Lord. I wanted to get to know who he was. And it wasn't really an obligation. Now, taking that to the Catholic faith, almost like being married 
there are times, I've been married for 15 years, honey, if you're listening, forgive me for what I'm about to say, sometimes it is obligation. Sometimes it is duty. Sometimes that in love feeling, yeah. it comes, it goes. And, and why, does, why does obligation have such a bad rap today? It's, isn't it because we, we overemphasize and overvalue feelings at the, and undervalue Hollywood? Commitment and the act of the will? It's Hollywood, right? <laughs> Hollywood, it's, it's well, Walt Disney. It has a lot to do with it, yeah. It's Walt Disney, you know. You, um, when I got married, I recognized, wow, it's not about you, Tom. And then I had kids, wow, it's not about you, Tom. And, and I, I've been <clears throat> married, like I said, for 15 years, and I'm, I still don't know if I get it. I'm starting to get more and more that I need to die to myself and live for my live for my God and then live for my family, and that's not easy. Hmm. So, as a, I guess, looking at the allegory of being a Protestant, it was like a dating relationship with Christianity, okay. whereas being Catholic has been the full um, consummation, the marriage, receiving the Eucharist, and, you know, being the bride of Christ. It has been. Um, and it's not been the easiest transition. And now you're not your own pope. No, I'm not. Thank God. <laughs> you're not your own ultimate authority no. uh, in, in interpreting religious things like scripture. Um, okay. Thank God. <laughs> All right. 978-454-4980 is our phone number. Talking about the um, topic of Lent in an age of hedonism. So, have you seen our culture grow more and more hedonistic as you grew older? Yes, but paradoxically, I've seen our culture become more depressed. Yes. Is that really a paradox? Well, I guess it's a paradox, but it it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, sure. I (laughs) mean, the paradox is we're we're seeking pleasure. Right. Thinking that pleasure equals happiness. And then as we achieve these things, we're like, gee, this life is dry, it's empty. Right. Look at the hookup culture. It's not really fulfilling anybody. Right. You know, it's not. And and we have so many people on antidepressive drugs today for that reason. Right, right. Countless. Right. It's all over the place. And it's, um, I mean, sure, there are legitimate mental health issues. things going on right. with all the foods we eat and how but even again with the foods we eat where you know um my wife and i just went through and my son tommy we just went through what's called the whole 30 i don't know if yes you heard of actually my wife and i did whole 30 oh, it's, yeah it, it was great and it was tough um i agree <laughs> but it really recog- got my brain to think gee how addicted am i to sugar to carbs to you know even alcohol and how is my brain really attached to these things. Yes. So with all these yes. foods that we're putting into our bodies, of course, we're struggling with, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, mood disorders, whatever. Mm. Um, and then put on top of that, our whole secular materialistic culture today piped into us 24-7 through the media that basically tells us there really is no meaning or purpose to life, so go for all the pleasure that you possibly can. Right. That's basically the, what, what we're being taught from a young age right. through these through the media. Right. I was I was really blessed. I've shared this a lot because it had such a massive impact. My father, he was shot nine times in Vietnam and survived on his second tour. Um, was supposed to die, but he didn't. Thanks be to God. I mean, he did pass when I was younger, but he yeah. survived for twenty years, and he lived in Belize, in Central America. And I remember going down there when I was four years old and then when I was five. And I'll never forget the... um, And these people were way poor. 
like if you went to downtown Belize, Belize City, it, it was there were rats and uh, wow. it, was, it was filthy. The, the sewer was open, but they lived in a village where they didn't have any hot water. They had a little transistor radio. That's it for entertainment. And yet, these are some of the happiest people I've I've ever come across. That's amazing. I, I hear that so much of people who travel to so-called third world countries. Right. Right. They have nothing materially, and yet. They are so much happier than we are right. in the United States, by and large. And we should ask why. We should ask why, and I'm going to ask you why right after this break. Uh, we'll delve into that, and we'll also delve into uh, the meaning of Lent and how it fits into our hedonistic culture. Here at WCAP Radio, you're listening to Beneath the Surface. Paul Morano with my guest Tom Murphy tonight. Your phone calls at 978-454-4980. We will be back with you right after this. Back are we at 978-454-4980, BTS Hotline here tonight. You're listening to Beneath the Surface until 11 o'clock, and my special guest is Mr. Tom Murphy. We're talking about the topic of Lent in a hedonistic culture. So, Mr. Tom, we live in a culture of instant gratification, and you had mentioned that um, it provides us with extra challenges for what you call mortification. You want to just define that for people who don't know what that word means? Mortification. Yeah. Uh, well, death, uh, the actual definition, I'll go with what I know it to be, just death to self, you know, mortification of the flesh. Um, we see bodybuilders do it all the time. We see athletes do it all the time. And that's expected and normal, but... If we do it for spiritual reasons, fasting, um, you know, if we go back to the Franciscans of old who would wear the hair shirts, you know, it actually, um, you know, they deny them. They go the extra step and deny themselves. And So we're talking about fasting here. Right. Okay. Right. So, but with just with fasting, you know, it's to deny ourselves. And if we get used Pleasures. to that. Yeah, if we get yeah. used to that, then maybe we could handle some of the bigger issues. So that's one of the reasons then right. to to fast. It's it's kind of like spiritual exercise. If you um, if you do it a little bit, you get used to it and you'll be able to do it more. Right. Just like physical exercise, you don't you don't start running the uh, marathon. Right. You run smaller and smaller until you incre incrementally build your build your wind up, right? Absolutely. I it's funny because I find Lent a very it can be a very difficult a trying time for me mm -hmm. i i i don't have the strongest willpower um i really don't but the whole 30 helped you know it sounds like i'm making a commercial for whole 30 but it was great um and and again becoming catholic it's it, there's a reason why the church gives us what she gives us and certain practices of fasting certain practices to uh seasons in the liturgical calendar that actually prepare us and help us um, and praise God for that, because I didn't really have that as a Protestant. Again, we just sort of, at least I sort of, you know, I, there weren't many practices. <laughs> right, for and, me. and and it wasn't um, it wasn't formal and and expected uh, of everyone to do it at the same time, right? Right, right. So why is it important to deny oneself the pleasures, of, the simple pleasures in life, like food? Well, because I, again, I think it helps. It helps 
strengthen us. For what? Against temptation. Ah, that's what I'm getting at. Against temptation. And we're humans, so we're going to be tempted. Our Lord was tempted in the desert. We can be sure that we will be tempted. So if you, if you practice with fasting, you are able to govern the self according to your, your own will. You can will the self not to do certain things. Then you have a, um, you're able to discipline yourself in other areas that may even be more um, stringent. Right. Uh, uh, and so why is it important to avoid temptation? Well, so we don't fall into sin. And pointing, go, following mm-hmm. that yellow brick road for our eternal mm-hmm. well-being. So, what does it mean in a secular society today uh, for those who weren't brought up in a religion um, to fall into sin? Because most people are probably in sin without falling out of sin. Uh, well, a lot of people may may have gotten into the the, the quicksand of certain sinful habits without even recognizing they're there. So tell me what you think it means to fall into sin today. Well, uh, it, it, the, the Christian definition or what, how the world defines it, how the world defines it now is the only thing that, the only thing that is sin is the word itself. It, it appears that, you know, um, it, with complete relativism, moral relativism, mm. the only thing that, that is sin is calling something a sin. So, so sin necessitates relationship with God, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Sin is something that is broken between the person and God. Now, if, no, if somebody doesn't believe in God, they can believe in moral evil, or they can believe in uh, something that is unethical or immoral, but they don't trace it to, um, to the eternal truth and goodness of God himself. Right. Okay. Well, well, it goes, we, it, C.S. Lewis talks about that, you know, natural law. Right. And, and... You know, um, you don't have to be a theist to believe in right and wrong. You don't. Um, I mean, what was it? Was it Dostoevsky who said in Brothers Karamazov, maybe, where he was saying, well, "Who is the character?" If there is no God, then all things are possible. Exactly. Is that what you're yes. Of? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, and, and I think, quite frankly, some people do use that as a cop out. Some atheists do use that as a cop out. But quite frankly, I also know some atheists that are pretty you know, pretty good fellows and, and actually can be more moral than I am. I, I complain if I, sometimes if I have yeah. to go out of my way to help somebody. And that's how Christian is that of me, um, where I know some atheists that would give you the shirt off the back without even flinching. So yeah. m- morality is not just a religious theme. Well, let's think about it. The, the, term, the term sin uh, has three layers to it. It offends God, it harms others, and it hurts self. Mm. Uh, simultaneously, uh, by, by virtue of its nature, it does all those three things. Right. If you're an atheist or an agnostic and you don't recognize the authority of God or the, even the existence of God, you're still left with those two layers, aren't right. you? Right, right. It harms others and it hurts self. Right. And some people are conscious of that and actually care about that. Right. It's really interesting that you mentioned that. Once, when I discovered the sacrament of reconciliation, I, that is one of the most amazing things to me. Why do we need to go to confession? How come we can't just confess our sins to God? Should we confess our sins to God? Of course, and we do. But there's a reason why we take, at least us Catholics, take it a step further because the cross is vertical and horizontal, like you just said. Yes. And when I sin, it's not just it's 
It's um, another Peter Crave thing here. <laughs> I, he 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 dropped a penny on the ground. And he said, "I just altered the universe." You know, yeah. with physics. Yes. Whenever I sin, I alter the universe. It's not just I'm not just affecting me. Oh, what about you know, say if you know, as long as I'm not harming others, what what harm is it? It's always mm. harming others. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. We, we sometimes we don't see the immediate results, at least in our mind's eye. Right. Especially when we don't want to see it in our mind's eye. Right. Uh, we can easily play psychological games with ourselves. But you're right. Every action that we do affects the other, affects the community in some way or another. Right. How I say it to my, uh, my college kids is that um, if you were to throw a tiny pebble in the, into the middle of the ponds, you would see the waves radiating for about a few seconds. Mm. And then you wouldn't see it anymore. Mm. And yet... For the next half a mile, those waves actually continue to go all the way to the shore, unbeknownst to you, because you really can't see it anymore. Yeah. You could say that, that that's what happens with our actions. Yeah. We might see the, in our mind's eye, we might see the immediate consequences, mm. but we don't necessarily see all of the consequences that continue and continue and continue outside of our purview. So if we do good acts, positive things happen to the world. In and outside of our purview, bad acts, i.e. sin, the negative. So we either lift up the world or we bring it down with everything we do. I was, I was driving here. I was thinking of there was a, a quote from Lewis. If you don't mind, I'm going to bring it up. Um, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yep. There's uh, really interesting um, talking about pleasure. I remember my Protestant days. I, wrote, uh, we, I read this book from John Piper. He was a Calvinist guy. Um, really interesting book. It was called Christian Hedonism, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it, it, I was like, whoa, how's that going to work? And it, it was actually a decent book. I think he was trying to hit on sort of what, what I'm about to say here with Lewis, but um, I, I struggled with that book. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so Lewis says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Mm. That really hits the nail, I think, on the head. We are far too easily pleased. And then distracted. And then distracted. And then we come to find out all this stuff is just fluff and sugar. A lot of like the diet that we eat when we're eating these fillers that don't fulfill. Let's look at the idea of pleasure. Because a lot of people on the outside think that uh, religious people, particularly Christians, uh, uh, denigrate the, uh, the whole notion of pleasure. And that's, there's nothing further than the truth. Right. If we believe in a God who designed us for certain ends and purposes and put pleasure there, then pleasure in and of itself can be a good, depending on how we utilize it. Now, what I like to tell my students is, pleasure is more of a motivation than a natural end or purpose. It's, uh, if you were Mother Nature or Father God, wouldn't you put pleasure into the two survival mechanisms of the human being and all other animals too? Totally. Which is eating 
and sex. Sure, absolutely. The two sensual appetites, of course, you would attach lots of pleasure to it because the continuation of life is, is an important thing. Right. It's, what can be more important than continuing the individual, i.e. eating and sex for the species? Right. So a problem here is that when you separate pleasure from purpose and you make pleasure the purpose, the goal, the end. The end. Yeah. And so much to the point where you say to the actual natural end and purpose, that I don't want any part of you, I will do what I can to thwart you from occurring. And what does that remind you of? Ah, uh, well... I can't help but to think again, going through this diet right now, it's it's the, <clears throat> excuse me, the constant, you know, eating for pleasure only, eating, you know, really interesting. When you're eating the right foods, and I, I don't know why I'm talking about so much eating, maybe I'm hungry, but eating the right foods you notice you don't, I don't know if you went through this when you went through the Whole30, but when you're eating the right foods, you find that you're fulfilled rather quickly and yeah. with less food. Yes. And, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm good now. I don't, but when you're eating, right. say, Doritos, oh, I want more, I want more. Ben it's, and Jerry's, I want more. It's vice and uh, it's addicting. It, right. Yeah. Right. So it's it doesn't, you know, and it's the same thing with anything, with sex, with food, with, um, why is there such an opiate problem going on now? Yeah. Um, because our youth, they aren't pointed in the right direction, and they're, you know, how far do you chase that, that dragon? How far mm -hmm. do you chase that that beast of pleasure, if you will? Again, not that pleasure in and of itself is is wrong or evil at all, but if right. that becomes like you were saying, yeah, the means, yeah, there's going to be a problem. If that's if, if that is your um, your goal, and that's really what hedonism is. Hedonism is saying that the ultimate form of happiness is physical pleasure. Right. Yeah, that, that's hedonism. And we find it everywhere today uh, with overeating, eating the wrong foods, uh, over drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. Right. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. Right. Nothing wrong with doing these things appropriately, but inappropriately they cause serious problems. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, there's our sexual nature, which, sure. which is broken from right from original sin. Right. Right. I don't know if anything has been affected more from original sin than man's sexual nature. Absolutely. Especially in the past, I would argue, in our generation, even more so. Well, in our generation, I think our broken nature is now has that, that extra temptation of the media and academia even you know, supporting it, uh, just, just trying to get us to... Uh, using sex for virtually everything, basically to try to make money off of us. Right. And um, and we have an addictive culture. Right. And so how do we? And hence why we're here talking about Lent. Yes. And and so it makes absolute and total sense for this season of Lent for us to, you know, I heard a priest once say, "It's not so much what you give up; it's what are you going to fill in its void." So okay, I'm going to give up yeah. chocolate, or I'm going to give up candy. Whenever you give something up, there, there, you create a void. You create yeah. a void, and what do you fill it with? Great question. What a, what a beautiful thing that Lent isn't just about giving up, but it's about getting the. Lewis just said, 
we're far too easily pleased. God wants us. He's like, hey, I want to give you the real deal. I, Satan wants to, the accuser wants to give you the counterfeit. Yeah. I want to give you the real stuff. And if we can only put down the counterfeit. Well, you have to you have to believe that there is a real stuff that that is unseen right, right. in order to for you to be motivated enough to put down the counterfeit. Right. And then you need help, right? Can if you right now were to say by my own free will I'm going to conquer all of my vices, all of my obsessions and addictions tomorrow because I will will it. Um, without any help from any without any supernatural help or help from um, the community. Could you do it? Not even no. All right, so then, I struggle with help from the community. <laughs> so, so then, Lent is a time to, first and foremost, it seems, a time to recognize, and that is to recognize our own sinfulness and our own weakness right. as an individual. If you don't humble yourself in that way, how can you possibly use Lent for the good? Right. Right. That, that's where it has to begin, no? And I don't know about you, but it's sort of freeing. Humility can be very freeing, and becoming Catholic was actually very uh, humbling. humbling for me. And and it's it was actually very freeing, again, not needing to be my own authority, not needing to be the one who has all the answers. You know, I know the one who has all the answers. Um, and being broken and being humble is not has been somewhat of a freeing thing. Uh, you know, so, it's uh, becoming like a child again, in a sense. Childlike faith. So you feel like you don't have the entire burden on you. Right. You can now follow rather than be your own king, your own pope, your own god. Right. Okay. And when you fall, which because you're not perfect, because none of us are perfect, we will, there is this thing that you believe Christ set up just for that purpose, so that we can um, renew ourselves spiritually and truly begin again anew. And that's the sacrament of confession. Absolutely. Uh, it was you have a, uh, Matthew Kelly, I think. I, okay. I, uh, he gave a talk, I'm pretty sure it was him, gave a talk about confession, sort of talking about like, you know, when you get a brand new car, it's clean, it's spotless, it has that new car smell, it's yep. great. Yep. And next thing you know, you, you, know, you leave a coffee in there, and then, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're like me, it's much more than a coffee, it might be a cheeseburger under the seat or something. But anyway, to, to when you go through that car wash and you clean that car, it's new again. God offers that to us as much as we want and I know it can be uncomfortable but what a beautiful beautiful gift God in the church has and given. you know what and I want to talk about this after the break it seems like so many people now um, cannot face themselves and or God because they don't know that they don't understand a merciful God if you don't understand a merciful God how can you possibly truthfully Face God and and yourself. How can God you look in the, the mirror? Tyrant, right? Yeah, exactly. And they, it, God's a tyrant, and you don't like yourself. Right. And usually that comes out in lashing out at others. That's sort of Nietzsche, wasn't it? I mean, in a grand scheme of things. Uh, I think you're uh, like I have to look into that. <laughs> the whole God is dead thing. Yes. Yes, and yes. I think he ended his life because of it. That's where that leads to. Yeah, it does lead In to a, nihilism. Yeah. Yeah. Nine seven eight four five four forty nine eighty. The band Boston is telling us we have to take our second break of the night. 
And this is our final break, so don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about lots of more good stuff right after this break. You're listening to Beneath the Surface. See you in a minute. What are you doing? Putting that volume down low. <laughs> you try to catch me, huh? I stopped you before you did that. Nine seven. And by the way, there's there's Cindy. Uh, Cindy is our producer, of course. And don't go anywhere after Beneath the Surface because, as you know, most of you that li- that listen to Beneath the Surface, Cindy's Vinyl Vault with Cindy and Peter are coming up right after this show at eleven o'clock, right after the news. So stick around. So right now, though. Our BTS hotline is 9784544980 and my guest is Mr. Tom Murphy. We're talking about Lent in the Age of Hedonism. And um it's funny, um Tom, I said on the I, I made a post on Facebook the other day. I said uh since the school shooting at the high school in Florida, there's been a lot of calls for the elimination of guns, but no calls for the elimination of public schools. And I meant it. I got a few laughs. Uh, I got a lot of people agreeing with me, uh, saying good points. Why are we putting hundreds or thousands of children together in a concrete building uh, with administrators and teachers that, I'm going to say, propagandize our children to the point where we uh, forfeit their souls in order to get a silly piece of paper called a high school diploma. You're up. That is a great, great question. Um, I remember, even back in the 70s, oh, you'll never be able to, never mind a high school diploma, but you'll never amount to anything unless you have a college degree. And though I'm not against college degrees, I think, you know, depending on what you want to become in life, your vocation, <coughs> occupation, um, well, notice the question, amounts to anything, as if, you're, right. as if you're nothing now, right? and if you don't get certain degrees, then you, won't, you will not be anything. Right. Yeah. Like the farmer is nothing. Like the electrician or the plumber yeah. is nothing. Sure. You know, thank yeah. God for those guys. We'd be up the creek, literally, yeah. if we didn't have them. Yeah. So, um, but the whole, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's become, well, just like a lot of things, art, music, uh, education. Um, it's just become a, we, we've lost the art in art. We've lost the education in education. Hospital, uh, hospitals, healthcare, you know, <laughs> I'm being biased here, but maybe we need to give it back to the church, you know. Okay. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to give it back to the church. If I'm not mistaken, uh, around a third of the healthcare systems in the world, or at least the country, are, are Catholic institutions. Right. Yeah. But, but that seems to be dwindling even here in Lowell. Saints, yeah. you know, yeah. is now part of Lowell General. Yeah. You know, and, and mm. it seems like there's more and more, especially under the last administration, there's been yes. more attacks against the church, against, oh, you know. big time. It's just horrific. Yeah. It has nothing to do with health care. Well, their goal is for the state to run everything. 
to run your exactly. whole life. Exactly. To, to get rid of both the church and the family, because the church and the family are the, the only two buffers between the individual and a totalitarian state. It's funny that you say that, because one of the things I was thinking about with Lent, the, you know, scrutinies and almsgiving and fasting, all these things are called, um, we're called upon as, as Christians, uh, Catholic Christians, we're called to be practicing these things throughout the year, but especially during Lent, and almsgiving, helping the poor, you know, we are called to do that. But the welfare state has jumped in and has tried to completely run that and has not done a good job at all with it. No. You know, I say it's just another form of slavery. I mean, I used to live in the city, and it's just another form of slavery. Mm. You know, whereas... um, you know, let's let's give things back to the church again. Come you know, by his opinion, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, the problem with that is that you have to have uh, believers. <laughs> oh, this is true. <laughs> and secular humanism, which is perhaps the most popular religion in America today, has seen to it that um, we uh, more and more believe in self and less and less in a transcendent God. Right. And um, so, how do we get back? How do we? How does that? How do we get back? And will we get back to, to the well, faith of? It uh, seems like you know, in history, the the answer to that question has been disaster. Um, we saw it with World War Two. After um, during and after World War Two, uh, people were very religious, and that sort of continued until right around the 1960s when we got really opulent and we started forgetting God and enjoying our money a little too much. And then came, you know, the 70s and 80s. and But then came 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, for, and for about two weeks, uh, we were a very weeks. religious country again for about two weeks. But uh, the problem was it didn't, the, the disaster didn't sustain itself. So uh, we need a good stock market crash or a good attack or we need something to, to sober us um, and, and kick us of our bad habits, of our laziness. But it seems now, with all the shootings and the disasters going on, that would be enough to wake us up, and it doesn't appear that that's what's happening. I, you know. Well, look what people are, are saying is, is the only answer. The only answer is to get rid of guns. Right. It, it is not... It's not, not to fix the human problem or right. the, the cultural problem. Right. I find it interesting how just, I think it was the day before yesterday, there was um, an attack in Winchester <coughs> Library, mm-hmm. uh, public library. Um, some, some, 20, some, some young man attacked a 22-year-old girl in the library with a knife and killed her mm-hmm. right there in public. In Winchester... Winchester, Massachusetts. Wow. Yeah, it just happened the day before yesterday, I believe. And uh, you would think that there would have been news about this. It was a public place. It was a, a, a killing of a young adult, just like just like the high schools. But um, it was a knife, so it didn't it make the news. It was a knife, so it didn't make the news. It made the local news, but it didn't make the national news. Why is that? Is there an agenda here? Or, or is there a, all agenda. Is there a, a real, real caring about the the anger and hostility and violence that's happening with young people. Well, it's all agenda. I mean, and all the attacks against the NRA and all this other business. I mean, there's like 20, if, as far as I understand, there's like 20,000 gun laws in the books. All right, let's 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 start with that. Let's start with mm. following the laws that are already in place. Why don't we? Well, money. I, I don't know. Money and just how... 
again, the breakdown of culture, the breakdown of personal responsibility. You know, if if someone goes out and shoots <clears> up a place, it's not that person's fault; it's the gun's fault, or it's or it's Trump's fault, or it's you know hmm. somebody else's fault. But why? Are, but why isn't the government upholding these laws? Why? That's a gr- I. You got yeah. me. Okay. Honest. <laughs> I mean, how can how can we even? You got me. Let's look at gun control after we follow whatever laws are on the book, exactly. right? Exactly. But if we're not going to do that, then why skip over them? Exactly. It, it, no the, the only thing I can, uh, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but the only thing I can think about with gun, tr- gun control is like any other socialist, socialistic regime that is, you know, just look. I mean, look at mm. Germany, look at Russia, look at, you know, um, I'm sure Cuba, Venezuela. You know, this, what happens when you start taking guns away from people, there's, and the government is trying to usurp that power and control. And that's not how we Americans roll. Now, mm. now again, I'm not saying every, it should be... I'm not saying, you know, sure, if there's mental health problems, if you have a, if you have felonies, if you have a background, sure, there needs to be some tight laws in place, but they're already in place. The the laws are there. They're there. They're not followed. Why aren't they enforced? That, that is the question. Well, that's the mystery that neither one of us understands. Yeah. You can almost understand them not being followed if they're they're not going to be enforced. Right. Because people think that they're not there. Right, right, right. <laughs> Enforce these laws. Right. All right. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> so how would you tie in the, uh, the anger and violence of young people today to uh, the, the topic uh, at hand, which is Lent in the age of, of hedonism? Well, at, at the age of hedonism, again, we're all looking for something. We're all looking for pleasure. We're all looking for happiness. God has planted that in our hearts and our minds, and it's, it's not bad to seek. It's not bad. And like you said, even for the survival of the human species, these things are good, but when they're out of place, when they're out of whack, that's when things get... So, in other words, there's a natural order, a natural moral order that we have to understand. Right. And seek to live by. Right. And, and that answer is God. And if we don't seek to live by the natural moral order, um, we're not, by definition, we can't be happy. Right. We will never be happy. Right. Right. And uh, philosophers call this the natural law. Um, theologians say if there's a natural law, there must be a la- natural law giver. Giver. Right. And we understand that uh, that the bottom line, the buck stops at the eternal infinite creator of the universe himself who created human nature for certain reasons ends and purposes right so in other words if we understand ourselves and we live according to our human nature we please god right and isn't that what lent is all about trying to overcome those bad habits those vices that disable us from attaining our true happiness it would be really interesting to bring up the topic of Lent to the youth. I mean, you teach kids, college kids, right? Yeah. It would be really interesting to interview kids. And, you know, what do you, what do you think the purpose of Lent? What do you think the purpose of, of fasting, if they even heard of the term? You know, right, what, right. Is there, would there be any benefit to this, you know? You, you know what's interesting, Tom? Um, related to that, every semester... We go over contemporary moral issues, and one of them is euthanasia. And I think virtually 100% of the students cannot fathom the the notion that suffering might have a, a purpose to it. Mm. Suffering can be used for the good. They, 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 
there is no um, there's no mental space in their minds to understand that concept. Um, <clears throat> the idea is to run from suffering however you can, and if the only way is to kill the patient, then you kill the patient. Uh, and well, and it's growing. It's already is mm. it legal in what three or four states now? Yeah. It's yeah. and it, my guess is you know within ten fifteen years it'll right. be all over the place. Right. So we'll not only have the march for life, you know we'll, that that'll hopefully that'll double in numbers for for the elderly and the depressed and whoever else they want to deem unfit for society. Yeah, um, we we run from suffering. Right. We run from it, and it seems like. The only way we're going to attain happiness in this life is if we have the strength to face it and a, an understanding, <clears throat> you could call it a theology, that understands that if and when you face it uh, with a proper attitude, you can grow from it, you can become a better person by it. I think one way to get it to the youth you know, say your college students, how many of them go to the gym constantly? How many yes. of the girls are on diets? You know, I feel bad for um, these young girls today. Like, they're, they're, there's so much pressure on them. They have the perfect body and yes. the perfect look. And yet they're suffering. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, you go yeah. to the gym, yeah. you're sore for a couple of days. Oh, it's a good hurt. It's a good pain. Right. You go in and, oh, I'm going to say no to that cake and ice cream. I'm going to, you know, so I'm going to go, I'm gonna go for a run. So they're, suff they're choosing suffering. They do understand it on the physical they're, level. They understand it Why so can't well. they understand it? On the spiritual level. That's some really good... Because questions. today we are materialists. Right. It right. has permeated the media, and even people who say they're spiritual, very often they think with a materialist mind. A materialist mind, right. Yeah. Right. So there's all, all, you know, the only thing that exists is what we can touch, taste, see, smell, hear. Right. Lent is a way to, um, to get us back on track, to sober us up, and to become spiritually strong. Amen. And when you're spiritually strong, you can deal with life a lot better. Right on. <laughs> right on, man. Mr. Tom Murphy, thanks for the first time on Beneath the Surface. Oh. How'd you like it? Oh, it was awesome, man. I <laughs> love this place. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Paul. It was really good talking with you. And i got to get some stuff to chew on later tonight. Excellent. And I hope you did, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Beneath the Surface, every, every Monday night, 10 to 11. Um, again, Cindy's Vinyl Vault up next. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.